to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. This project is funded through the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. It is led by Care Ballon in St. George, Ballon Shire in southwest Queensland in conjunction with a team of researchers led by Dr. Sarah Casey at the University of the Sunshine Coast. The team includes Dr. Gail Crimmins, Dr. Saskia de Klerk and Dr. Karen Hands alongside Professor Jackie Hewitt from Griffith University. This podcast series is about building women's capacity, empowerment, strategic communication, and business leadership skills. This series is eclectic. We interview community and business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, communication and media experts, an empowerment and confidence leader, and CEOs, the agitators and the advocates. Our hope is that this series might act as an inspiration and information toolkit for others. You can find more information about our project at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. All episodes contain show notes about the guests with links to their stories. So settle in and enjoy the series as together we chat with these remarkable women. I'm speaking with Anna Pino, Director and Chief Executive Officer, and Candice Adee. Um, Director and Commercialization Manager of Lighthouse Innovations. Both women have a wealth of experience and credentials behind them. This duo is very passionate about helping businesses to grow. They have developed the business support programs with governments such as the IP Toolkit, Teen Startup and Specialized Design Projects in Allied Health, but also community-based projects, um, for instance, Entry 29 and Festival of Ambitious Ideas. Both are inspiring, inclusive leaders. Well, thank you so much, Anna, Pino, and Candice Day. I hope I've pronounced your surname correctly. Edie, I've known you for so many years, and it's been such a privilege to work with you in the past. But thank you so much for just meeting with me today to share your story about women leadership and especially bringing communities together. Just to start off with Lighthouse Innovations. It started in 2008. At that point, did you ever think that women will lead the way and women will bring people together in the way that you've done it up to this point? Look, I think we always hoped it would. And I think even back in 2008, we were starting to see a fair fair amount of change in, in women being interested in starting businesses. I think I think women have always run businesses, but they've done it very quietly. They've done they've just got on and done it. And I think in 2008 we started seeing that women were actually, you know, they actually had a voice and they wanted that voice to be heard. And it's just gotten more and more so since then, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. I think there's been a bit of a groundswell. I, I also think there's been recognition that some of the, the kinds of businesses that women have been running are very often the ones, while they might not necessarily be the sexy, high-growth startups that, you know, take over the world, they tend to be the ones that employ people in local communities. And I think there's a growing recognition of the impact that that has on cities, towns, and, and local communities. I mean, we work with a lot of women, um, and it wasn't about being a great success. It was about creating something for themselves and their families and living a legacy, which is you know, quite different from the competitive drive that most males have in business. That's not to say women aren't competitive, they just do it in a slightly different way. And, and when you talk about bringing women together and getting their voices heard, 
maybe if you can just explain how you started with these events and and just maybe as background as well, you started in 2008, but in 2014, you had to become more entrepreneurial in, in a sense as well. So how do you see that the focus of these events and 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 what you envisioned at that stage when you had to transition from one format or business model to another? The transition wasn't by choice, let me put it that way. <laughs> I mean, as, as is the way when you're funded by any kind of government, uh, you know, government has a bit of a brain snap and decides to change its focus. And we were given three months' notice to say that our funding was going to be cut. So we, at that up to that point, we'd been a partnership between the ACT government and a private investment fund. Obviously, if the government pulled its money, the fund didn't have enough money to fund us by themselves. So Candace and I basically sat down one day and said, are we going to take this business over or not? So I think we made a decision within 72 hours between before everything sort of got shut down. But we had a board who was actually great. We had a board of the typical grey-haired old men, but they were incredibly supportive. They were they did everything they could to help us take over the business and to transition. So within 72 hours, we found ourselves owning not one company but two, having to make a decision about eight staff members, which was a very difficult time. It wasn't easy. It had a lot of heartbreak, but we decided it was just the right thing to do and it gave us an opportunity to then do what we wanted to do. And I, I think the, the transition in 2014 gave us the um, leeway to be able to take on some of these mm. events that you were talking about yeah. and do them slightly differently. So we've been running the Festival of Ambitious Ideas now since I think the first one was in about 2014. Yeah. So for a number of years, and it's the, an event where we have 16 speakers, they all have five minutes to tell their story and ignite the audience. And what we found is that, I mean, Canberra is not a particularly large town, but it's very siloed. And what we were finding was people in different industries didn't talk to each other. Mm. But by having an event where artists and poets and scientists um, together, we found that collaborations happened. We found that investment happened. And it's just because they were forced to see the world from a different point of view. So we're big believers in diversity and inclusion, and um, we think that really drives innovation. So we've been doing that for a number of years. Last year, we ran one called the Festival of Exporting, uh, Ambitious Exporting Ideas, where we focused on companies that were exporting and some of the challenges and opportunities that they've been finding in a global market. And they are as diverse as people involved in textiles and fashion to highly scientific instruments. So it's, you know, you your limits are only as, as much as your imagination, really. And we, we use events to be able to showcase and inspire people. We've also been really lucky because over our life, we've worked with women who have nothing, who literally have nothing. They are escaping domestic violence situations. They have had issues with mental health. Um, you know, the banks won't touch them because they're too big a risk because they have no assets, right through the women who are running multi-million dollar companies. So we're very lucky because we've been able to work with that full range and we've been able to support them all in quite different ways. So we've been able to, because Candice and I are of a firm belief that one note, no, there is no one size fits all and we've always managed to tailor what we deliver to what the particular client needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's enabled us to bring together women who come from very, very different experiences and they've, but when they sit down and they have a, and they talk to each other, their issues are exactly the same. The context might be different, but the issues are exactly the same. 
whether you're starting out or growing a business or expanding a business, we all experience the same fears, the same risks. You know, it's it, it doesn't necessarily change that much. And being able to talk to that, particularly with other women who understand the other context you're working in, you've usually got family or you're caring for somebody or there's something else going on in the background, being able to talk to other women who experience that same those same issues is actually really it's actually really inspiring watching how they feed off each other. Would you say that flexibility and that open-mindedness, but also that passion to make this work will be some of the characteristics when you have to describe the leadership that you took in this for, you know, for these events and, and for taking this on? I think Candice and, and I would both say we're both pretty stubborn. I mean, there's a lot of people who have said to us, why on earth would you do it? Or why do you work with that group of people? Or why are you supporting those people? But I, we think everybody's everybody's worth a chance, right? Everybody has everybody has the opportunity. It's what they do with it that's important. I, I think one of the biggest things that we think is important is that you have an action orientated mindset. Very often we see, and it's not just business women; it's anybody. We we get people get stuck in that whole idea of planning and making sure it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Whereas really, what we find is that if you get out there and give it a go the market will tell you what you need to change. So, so we think that that sort of whole can-do, action-orientated approach to things is so incredibly important. We've also seen that that strong networking skills, very important. And we think women do that really well because women tend to be relationship-orientated. We have a longer, longer viewpoint. It's not as transactional as, as many things. And women are natural networkers or or a lot, we tend to be quite good at it. And I, and I think that's a real business strength. But the opposite to that is we don't like stepping outside our comfort zones. So actually stepping outside what you know and asking questions from people you might never talk to in any other circumstance or other situation is a really good way of, of, of testing your own, your own assumptions. I mean, we all go in, you know, we all go in and we all think we've got, we all, we all think we've got the thing that everybody wants. The reality is that's not that's never true, never. So you've got to test it somehow and you're going to be quite comfortable to be rejected and you're going to be quite comfortable to be told, yeah, it's not going to work in that format, but have you ever thought about doing this? Mm-hmm. You've got to be comfortable and open to that, comfortable mm-hmm. with and open to that, I think. And I think if, if, you, if you really analyse it, it's about being curious. Mm-hmm. It's about being curious about what your market wants, um, what somebody in another sector or industry is doing that you could maybe learn from and apply to your own business. It's that, you know, networking is about being curious about other people and what you can do for them. So I think that whole mindset in terms of, you know, being open, honest and, and curious about the world we live in is, is really important for business and innovation. But it is also about having belief in yourself. I mean, I, we know of a couple of uh, women who are working in the construction game. Construction has always been a purely male-oriented game. You know, it's always been dominated by men. And they're really successful because they really they are confident in their own knowledge, right? They've gone and they've made sure they've asked all the right questions, they have all the right information, they never go into anything unless they are really confident that they know what they're saying is correct. And they've got to learn to stand their ground because they're always going to be challenged. Yeah, you know, we are always going to be challenged by somebody. And you've got to be confident enough in your own beliefs to just stand your ground. When you think about the person in itself and, and what kinds of support mechanisms they, they need to make a success, how would you describe that almost ecosystem around? 
Look, it, it's, I think it depends on the individual because we all work differently, right? I mean, every every person needs different types of support. So I guess Candice and I are quite lucky because we both come from small business families. So, you know, our own families are our greatest test beds. You know, they're the first ones to say, what on earth are you thinking and why are you doing it that way, right? But, you know, we also have friends that are in business who will test us, but you have to be open to that feedback. If you, if you close yourself off to that feedback, you're not always going to hear what you want to hear. And if you close yourself off to that, then that's already a big mistake. Most places, I mean, Canberra is a small place and we're lucky because we have a lot of places where you can go and, you know, network with people or seek some advice. But the other good thing about small communities is you can call just about anybody, offer them a cup of coffee, and they will spend half an hour with you. Just make sure you know what you want out of that half an hour. Because if you waste their time, they won't do it again. But we found all small communities are very receptive to that kind of personal support. And for me, that's probably the most valuable support that we've had. I, I definitely think so. I think that family, having having a supportive family and, and friend group around you is is incredibly important because they are they your um, cheer squad mm. through the through the tough times. But I think it's it's the it's the weak ties that we form that very often help us spread um, our ideas, our business. Um, there are first, you know, in, in terms of marketing, what we're doing, it's being open to developing ties outside of your sector or, you know, it's it's the ones that you might meet online through a business forum. It's, you know, it's, it's forming those kind of contacts that potentially open a door into an industry or a sector or a market group that you don't particularly know. And I think you have to be quite purposeful about building those ties. So if you think of, you know, your family, your friends, your immediate circle as your strong ties, it's looking that next layer out and it's developing those weak ties but being deliberate about it. And it's also important to be prepared to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. You, No one's going to volunteer the information. You need to know what it is that you, you, you need to be honest about what you don't know. And then you've got to go and find ways to, to, to educate yourself around those issues. I mean, most, most places have a, have, a, have a business council or a community council or something. And that's always a really good place to start to see what kind of free support is available. So as soon as you start talking to professional advisors, it becomes very expensive very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it is about tapping into the free resources that are available first, your own networks, creating new networks, as Canada's saying, there's also a lot of, you know, the, the online world has now provided a lot of opportunities. And we often find when small businesses get stuck is the, it's not the idea, it's the actual processes and details behind it. You know, how do I do a cash flow? How do I set up a Facebook page? Or it's it's the detail. And we've, we're so fortunate now that there's so many online, um, whether it's a Facebook group or a message board or mm. where people are prepared to share their experiences and their knowledge. And normally it's you need that information on a just-in-time basis. So it only becomes relevant because you're dealing with it right now and that's when you're looking for information. And that's where the internet is a really great resource whether it's, you know, business.gov.au puts out so many fact sheets and information for small businesses, great starting point for things like that. But definitely the detail becomes a really important thing for small business and that information is available online and most of it is free. Yeah, I mean, I think 
in reality, this is with all respect to you, Saskia, I think things have changed from my day because when I first started, oh, you had to have a master's in business or you had to have this. No, you don't. I mean, I've got a master's in business and it taught me absolutely nothing about running a business. <laughs> all right. Um, and you sit there and you go, okay, I, I did my accounting studies, which is really great. It's taught me how to, it's taught me not to be scared of numbers, but it didn't really teach me what I had to do with those numbers. And as Candace is saying now, there's so many places you can get that information, which is actual, is coming from people who are really hands on. And I think, you know, that, that's probably one of the disconnects that exists with a lot of kids coming out of the university who want to run businesses but they don't really have the hands-on skills. So the first thing we say is go work in a coffee shop, go work in a shop, go do something that actually makes you understand what the dynamics of business looks like because it's not what's in the textbooks, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I I definitely think, you know, experience and and just emerging yourself in uh, what's actually happening out there instead of just learning from it um, in books and case studies is definitely the way to do it. And also through that process, you'll build those networks and know where to go when you need to get that information. It could be overwhelming, though, to go online because there's so much out there. And sometimes it's difficult if you don't have a lot of experience to really articulate or, you know, reflect on something if you not sure what the next step will look like. So your innovation, Lighthouse Innovations and some of these events, just just give us maybe a bit of an overview of what you offer. Okay. Again, it depends on what stage the client's at. But if we look, look, if we look at our microcredit program, so our microcredit program, it was effectively started to help women on low incomes to, to get into their own business, right, to start a small business. So for us, it was... It was only about getting them to business. It was also about getting them to re-engage with the workforce. Because, you know, let's face it, most businesses do not succeed because it's a hard slog. So for us, success was not just if they stayed in business, fantastic, but if they wound their business up and re-engaged with the workforce, that for us was also a big measure of success. So they're your typical, okay, I've been a housewife most of my life or I didn't finish school or I worked for many years and then because of family breakdown, you know, I'm in a rigid situation. So with them, we do take them through every single stage of the business. But we also know what we don't know, right? So, yes, I am an accountant, but I would never, ever set your accounts up for you. So we would refer them to an accountant or we would we would help them find an accountant that they felt comfortable with and understood where they're at and what they want to do. We would help them find a lawyer that understands the nuances of starting a business. We don't have that expertise and we are quite quite, quite comfortable admitting we don't have that expertise. But we will work to find, to help them find the right person to work with. For us, having insurance was always really important. We never wanted anybody to start a business unless they were properly insured for their own protection. And so we would help them work with a broker to understand what kind of insurance they need to set themselves up. Most of them were scared of banks. So we were lucky enough to work with banks. And quite often, we'd actually get bank managers to come in and talk to them about how you establish a relationship with the banker. You know, how do you... How do you create a, a credit level when you don't have a credit level, basically? So obviously we were giving loans and the loans helped them feel comfortable with actually having a financial obligation. And then we actually introduced them to bankers so they felt comfortable about creating their own relationship with bankers. We would often bring in people who are experts in doing things like how do I start a cash flow? You know, how do I set up a Facebook page? How do I, where do I go if I want to go to my first networking meeting? Where do I look for my first networking meeting? So 
this is not all stuff that we necessarily did we did ourselves, but we help them find their people, as we say, right? So for us, it's all about finding the people that you feel comfortable with. And part of our job is to help them find them. And through that, we've also made some amazing contacts and we've also learned some amazing things, which we now bring back into the services that we offer. So, yeah, that's how it was started. I, I think a really important thing with with any business is, is looking at where they're starting from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you very when you, when you start a business and you don't necessarily have a lot of cash to put into it, maybe you don't have stock, whatever the business is, it's looking at where you are at that point in time and what you can do with what you have. And, and that can be very different for, for different kinds of businesses. And through our microcredit loan program, it provides interest-free loans um, of small amounts. And depending on the business, it might provide a little bit of stock or it might help them set up with the right structure or insurance. But it's, it's recognizing that everybody starts from a different point. They might start from a different point of knowledge, um, of resources, but also confidence. So, you know, a lot, a lot of being in business is actually having the confidence to put yourself out there. And, you know, if you're an introvert, that can be more challenging than somebody is more extroverted about that. And it, it impacts on your marketing. So a lot of what we deal is working with the entrepreneur who's at the center of the business and, you know, supporting them in that way. Because very often if they feel supported and they're learning skills, the rest of it falls into place. So um, at Lighthouse, yes, we don't do a one-size-fits-all. And, and, and stages, I think, can be very an artificial thing because even, you know, when we work with the bigger companies that are exporting, they cycle through different stages. So they will go from a point of, yes, they've started up, they've got an idea, they've launched it, and it's very successful, but then they've got to start all over again when they enter a new market. So... You know, I think sometimes stages is an artificial concept that we impose on a business. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people who are quite successful still find it quite difficult mm-hmm. to diversify. And that comes from the fact they're just so comfortable doing what they do. And how do they change that? So, you know, and again, you know, they're a successful business, but they're about to start a startup. So are they just diversifying? Are they growing? Or is that, in fact, a new business? So... I think Candice is right. I think we tend to sort of steer a little bit clearer of the stages just because I think most most people in business don't actually understand what stage they're at. And I mean, we still call ourselves a startup, but we're 15 years old. Yeah. Right? And, so, and, <laughs> I mean, we, we find that, that, you know, companies will change because something in their environment has changed. Suddenly, you know, there's a major macroeconomic trend and, you know, half their markets disappeared or there might be a business partnership that, that failed um, mm. and one partner is taking over. So, you know, and then it's starting from scratch again. Yeah. So, it, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that happen in business that have really nothing to do with the stages of business. And most of the challenges really are personal. You know, something's happened. You've had a falling out with your business partner or in, in some instances there's a divorce in a family and suddenly, you know, what used to be a side hustle now needs to become the main source of income. That suddenly changes what everything looks like. So when you're a person in business, your personal life and your business life are very, very fluid and intermixed and influence each other. Particularly when you're female. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like if you I mean like look at look, yeah, look at our situation. I I care for my father. Candice is a, tip, a typical sandwich situation. She's still got kids at home and looking after an elderly parent. And, and let's face it, it's usually the woman that takes on that responsibility. 
And, you know, if you're trying to do that and run a business, you, you kind of learn to become a, a Jill of all trades very quickly. You've had such a lot of success over the years in, in mentoring and facilitating, building linkages for other women. And then also, you know, having to to juggle all of these other commands or demands on your time in, in life. What what would you say might be some of the things that people can focus on if they want to make it work? What's some of the things that stood out for you maybe on your journey that you think, oh, I'm so glad that I, I decided to do that or to get that support? I think I think one of the key ones for me is you can't do it all. I mean, look, you, you, can, you can try and do it all, but you usually end up doing nothing well. So it's about learning to prioritise and sometimes good is actually good enough. It doesn't always have to be perfect. I think it's also understanding the difference between passion and purpose. Mm. I think you passion is just very often we're kind of told, you know, find what you're passionate about and go into that. And I think that sometimes leads people down the wrong path. Passion is certainly the things that keep you dedicated to whatever your business is when times are really tough. But you've got to know why you're doing it, you know. And women get into business for a number of different reasons. And it might be, you know, that they're genuinely interested in something or that that just happened to be an opportunity that landed on their lap and they need to do something for their family. Each of those or or, or both of them are equally valid reasons to get into business and they can both be very successful. Sometimes we see people go, you know, off the deep end when they think they're following their passion, but their passion actually there is no market for that particular passion. And I think that that can be a bit of a, a problem area. I think also, you know, the willingness to pivot your ideas, um, I think you have to be open to change and to, to, to listen to the market, listen to your environment, listen to your personal circumstances as well and not be too wedded to whatever it is that you're creating. I I also think knowing why you're doing this, you know, having that bigger, do you you have a vision? What's your, why are you doing this? What's really important? That helps. That's kind of the core value that should be at the center of whatever you're doing. And then the other stuff you're flexible about. I think it's also really important to learn Mm -hmm. to say no. I mean, I think, I think, I think particularly when we're starting out, we're all we we we're so concerned about getting in the revenue and, and wanting to make all of our customers happy. But reality mm-hmm. is there's gonna be a lot of customers that are not gonna follow you. You want customers that are gonna remain loyal to you. You're not gonna you don't want those clients that just want you to jump and they say jump. They're not gonna be loyal to you at all times. You don't want them as customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, that's probably the lesson that's taken me the longest to learn. I spent many years in business trying to make everybody happy and all I found was that I was, you know, literally killing myself and not getting a lot in return, I think, over the years we've learned. And I think social media falls into that basket as well and and marketing effort. At the moment, you know, the way the world is at the moment, content, there's so much content Mm. out there. And, And, you know, when you look at how the theory behind sort of marketing is you need to post every day and three times a day and at this time of the day, Actually, we probably post a hell of a lot less now than we ever have in our entire history, and it's had no impact whatsoever. I I think it is a crowded space. I think don't be overwhelmed by what other people are doing. 
you do what works best for you and your customers. So I think it's about knowing what to listen to mm. and and then taking what's relevant and applying it to your business, but not feeling pressured to do it the way that everybody else or the experts say that you should be doing it. Oh, yeah. Everybody's full of good advice, particularly people who have never run a business. Yes. Right? Um, so you need to learn. You need to get your filter on very quickly. I mean, you, you, you're always going to come across people that think you're insane for, you know, leaving, you know, a, a good business to go start, you know, a good job to start a business. But reality is it's your call and you're always going to meet naysayers. Just ignore them. If you're passionate about your idea, then just keep going. But you do need to learn to filter out the nonsense because there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of it coming at you and you need to learn to pick to identify those things that are really relevant to what you're trying to achieve so I think it's as much as what you leave out as what mm. you need to include in terms of business support support and advice yeah um, sometimes what you choose to ignore is almost more important than what you choose to listen to absolutely and we, we've experienced that quite a few times through our life Yes, you try and just push it aside because you don't want to deal with it. But you, you learn to be, you learn to tactfully say thank you and then just walk it's, away. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's like when you have a baby and you get all of the unsolicited advice and, you know, people, you know, wise person just says, you know, smile sweetly and then do your own thing anyway. Exactly. I think it's the case. Your business is your baby. When you get unsolicited advice, smile sweetly and do what you know is right for your business. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah, and and unfortunately, in the world of social media, you're always going to get people that are going to comment about your business as well. So, developing a thick skin really early on is really, really important. Mm-hmm. You, you need to learn to not take everything personally. You know, everything is not about you. Quite often, it's actually about some other person's problem, and this is just how they. Uh, that's a tough lesson to learn, and it's probably even harder in a small community because everybody kind of knows everybody. But it is one of those things you really need to learn to develop is, is really thick skin. And and to be a leader and to do something maybe first in a community is also difficult, a oh, bit of a challenge. Yeah, Absolutely. There's always going to be someone saying that you're crazy or it's not going to work or you're destined for failure. You know, that, that's that's their view. You've got to, you know, our, our view is always let's prove them wrong. Mm. That's always our view. <laughs> I, I, I do think when it comes to sort of, you know, leadership and sort of women in, in, in sort of leadership areas and positions and businesses and making change. I think I think we can be quite good and certainly a lot of the people that we've worked with where they've done really interesting businesses, they haven't focused on dismantling what's old and doesn't work. They've they've had a very transformative approach to it where they've completely changed an industry because their ideas have been so completely different. And I think women can be really good at that. You know, we we tend to work, work in really broad circles and we bring that knowledge to the businesses that we run. And I think we have real potential for innovation if we're prepared to step out of our comfort zone. Yeah, but and I think carrying on from that, I mean, innovation doesn't always mean recreating something completely. It's often just about building on something that already exists or doing something in a better way. I think the word innovation, I think, has probably, it's unfortunately been taken over by politicians and and it's been, you know, the connotation to it now is quite, I don't think it's anything, it doesn't really relate to what it means. You know, innovation can be anything that just makes things better or faster Mm -hmm. or cheaper. And I think if if you focus on what it is that you're trying to achieve, as Candace is saying, it doesn't mean you have to rebuild what's already there. 
might just be adding something to it to make it better. And like you said, by tapping into networks, by being part of, of the communities in which you um, might have some links and, and just to be open to see what's around you can maybe, you know, maybe you'll think about something then outside of what's already been done. And even if it's just to add a little, it can make a big difference to someone. Look, you, you, if you sit in a group and leverage off each other's experiences, you will always find a gap that hasn't been filled. I think no? the biggest the biggest tip for anybody thinking about business is be curious. Mm. You know, it 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 helps with everything. It makes you a better listener. It makes you think outside the the box. It makes you deal with challenges in a in a different way. Just be curious about the world you live in. Yeah, and you provide fantastic opportunities for women that's curious to come and tap into the networks, especially when I think about your Festival of Ambitious Ideas. It's, it's such a fantastic initiative. If you don't mind, just to um, maybe talk a little bit about how that came to be and, and how that that's actually running, maybe some of the success that you've um, had from those interactions. It all came about because... One of the commitments that we had under our previous structure was that we had to have events. But in Canberra, you can go to, you can go to three events on the same night every night of the week, and they're the same thing. It's like you know, let's have a let's have a glass of wine and have a conversation. And we thought, okay, that's all getting a bit old. What can we do that's a little bit different? And and we we kind of we our, our I guess our underlying philosophy is that you always get a much better outcome if you get people with different ideas coming together. You know, different perspectives always give you a better outcome. So, and then we just started coming across some really interesting little companies doing really interesting things. And we, we knew, everybody knows the big companies in Canberra, but we kept coming across these really small companies doing really, really cool stuff. And we thought, how can nobody know about them? And so we thought, how do we put together, how do we put together a format that doesn't require people to sit still for more than an hour because nobody can? And then we've discovered this format. In a, it's actually, look, we borrowed the format. The format comes from a format um, that's called Ignite. The Ignite format that actually came out of the US. So we've taken that format and tweaked it. So we have between 14 and 16 speakers. They have five minutes. Now, we have thrown ministers off stages. We have thrown, you know, some of the Australia, Canberra's biggest corporates off the stage. Everybody gets five minutes. You all get treated equally. And it's about... And we pick a theme for every particular event and we say, you talk for five minutes on that particular theme. It, we don't tell you what to say. It's just your view and your interpretation of the theme. For the and, and how it relates to your business. So it, it's always around, you know, that, that individual is involved in or yeah. organisation. Yeah. So we've had everything from people speaking about programs they're running at the National Gallery, for example, to a space airport, scientist. The space scientists, the airports come and spoken. We've had farmers, we've had agriculture, we've had artists, we've had we've actually had someone do modern dance. That was her that was her presentation. <sighs> um, we've had someone who didn't speak at all. He was talking about Questacon and it was all done in imagery. So it's been absolutely amazing. But for us, the important thing is what comes afterwards. So we always allow at least two hours for networking. And it's about everybody gets to talk to each other, everybody gets to share ideas. We've had investments come out of it, we've had partnerships come out of it, we've had people get together and actually do projects together. That to us is the actual value because most of them come out to us and say, we've never had an opportunity to speak to someone who does this before. 
I think we've we've had we've had interesting partnerships, for example, where somebody who does who makes handmade um, crafts type thing collaborate with scientists who were looking to find um, distributors or yeah. shipping. shipping. So in in real you know in day to day life, these people would never they would never meet. They would you know have. This would never come up in conversation. But the fact that one of them was on the stage talking about some of their challenges in, in this case, it was around exporting. There was an opportunity that somebody else saw. There was a contact and they helped each other. So it's it's an interesting way of bringing together diversity of ideas, but also creating the opportunity for collaborations to happen. So, so we actually took the, the underlying philosophy comes from um, the Medici family during the Renaissance, where they would have these banquets and they would invite the scientists and the poets and the writers and um, of a great big, you know, banquet, there would be the sharing of ideas. And that sparked one of the most creative periods um, in terms of, you know, innovation and history. And we took a lot of the sort of, purpose behind the festival of ambitious ideas from that and we certainly find that it it works it just works well i mean when we're having challenges now COVID is the gift that keeps giving so pre, prior prior to COVID, we were doing three to four a year um and since COVID, we've probably done look on the last two years i think we've done two yeah um because obviously keeping people safe is important it is not a format that's going to translate online and it's something that we've decided to not put online because it's that networking component is what has the value for us. So over the last 18 months, we've tried something a little bit different. So we've been doing things on, we've been doing, we were doing curated monthly drinks in our office. We would bring together people that we knew would never actually talk to each other, but might actually get some 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 positive outcomes from talking to people in quite different issues. Like we've done one around the art sector. We brought a bunch of investors together with a bunch of artists because, you know, artists really struggle to get their, their artwork funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've brought together game developers, game developers with you know other creatives about how they might and work, yeah, work together. And so we, we keep it to about 40 people because it's something that we can do safely in our own environment. They were going really, really well, but also now COVID's put a halt on those. So for us at the moment, it's trying to work out what we can do given mm-hmm. given the current restrictions that are in place. But, I mean, some practical things that, for example, that we've been doing during COVID is we have a um, book club. Mm. So we're a, a business book club where we pick or, you know, the members pick a book and um, we have a discussion and that's all done online. And what we find is that, yes, we're looking at the theory behind some kind of business book, but really the people's experiences and their thoughts around it are where the real learning and the value sits. And that can be done in any community. It's easy. It's a free thing to organise. But, you know, it's that diversity of opinion. It's coming together. It's exploring ideas. We find that most businesses learn more from their peers than they ever do from an expert. Absolutely. And it's just creating the opportunity for those conversations to happen. I mean, we in yeah, when we first started the micro the microcredit program, we used to run lots of P groups. And the P groups are all based around a specific subject, whether it would be like cash flows or how do I do I have to register for GST or don't I? Or how do I find my business name? Really simple things. And we got someone who would come in, they would talk for no more than 15 minutes. They were an expert who would talk for no more than 15 minutes. And then it was about everybody sharing their experiences about the processes that they had gone through. 
we we keep talking about doing those on those sorts of things can be done online quite simply. We haven't done them in the last little while because I've been focused on other things, but they were actually really successful. And something that we've certainly talked about bringing back in maybe a slightly different format. So there's also really simple, low cost, you know, easy access things you can do. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously, COVID's made us all have to be a little bit smarter about how we do things, and it's all about you know, and making sure that you, you're still you're still present and still relevant. But it certainly has made us think a little bit more, a little bit differently about how we deliver. Well, as women leaders um, and um, pivoting and, and moving with the times, you've shown <laughs> such a lot of initiative and, and a lot of great projects that um, came from your creative ideas. What's some of the things that you, if you have to tell someone that's just thinking about the journey, especially women, and, and wanting to, you know, maybe start their own venture or maybe to support other women in a community? What's the best advice that you would um, be able to offer from your own experience? The first thing I'd say is just go for it. You know, just 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 start by talking to a few people that you think might be interested, and get them to invite people who might be interested. You'd be amazed at how many people are out there who, you know, they've all been, they're all closet want to be business owners, mm. but they've never known where to start. And if you just start a conversation, you know, have mm. uh, invite people, invite a half a dozen people that you think might be interested. For a cup of coffee. That's mm-hmm. how you start. I think you, you need to also park the idea of business being something that happens between nine to five and it's something that you dedicate your whole day to. We certainly find no matter whether it's in a big city or a rural area, business is on a continuum. Yep. It can be a side hustle. It can be a retirement source of income. It can be something you do full time. Um, and Each of those businesses has equal value. Mm. And I think you have to be inclusive about when you invite people into a network that all business ideas have equal value. And you can learn as much from the person who's been in business for three months as you can from the person who's been in business for 30 years. You just have to be really open to listening. And and what they might also do is find someone who has probably retired, maybe run a business and has retired, Mm. and get them to... Just share their experiences, and you know, whether it be a male or a female, they've all got, they all have really interesting lessons that they've learnt that you can actually, you know, hopefully, avoid making the same mistakes. Um, you know, having a mentor, either for an individual or for a group, is actually a really good way of testing your own thinking. I think one of the problems that we all have is we get caught inside our own heads a little bit sometimes, and having someone saying, "Yeah, no, <laughs> maybe you need to think about it a little bit differently." Because they're looking at it from a different perspective is actually really, really important. I mean, Candace and I are lucky because we actually have quite different perspectives on things. We take things, we look at things from quite a different angle. We don't always agree, and that's okay. Because I think as a result of that, we actually end up with a better product. But I think you need someone who will test you that way. Because if you find someone who's always going to say yes, uh, you can be damn sure you're not going to succeed. Not going to grow at all. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you just need, and you need to be open to that. You need to be open to other people's opinions. Yeah, you, know, you don't necessarily have to take them all on board, as we said before, but you need to be open to listening to what other people are saying. And it, it doesn't, if you want to support, start something in a small town, um, it doesn't have to be formal. It can be two or three people getting together and sharing yeah. ideas. It's about It's about that sharing ideas, but it's also the support because being in business, especially if, you are a sole trader um, and you don't say have a business partner is incredibly hard. You want to have a support network around you 
and there's nothing better than somebody else who's going through the same thing. Just to say, hang in there, you know, it does get better. It doesn't need to be a specific number of people. Two or three people together is a great support network. So I think the whole idea that you need a, you know, major business community or a formal networking organization, you don't need that. You just need people who are willing to share. Yeah. And, and having your spouse or partner support you is also really important. Mm-hmm. We've seen quite a few businesses actually fall over because spouses were not supportive. So, you know, if it's something you're doing uh, to improve the, 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 you know, the, the future of the family, they've got to be on board because, you know, let's face it, in, in the first 12 months they might never see you because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a hard slog setting up a business. Setting it up and getting everything right takes a lot of time. So you need to have a supportive partner that will look after, you know, kids, other responsibilities because you may not be as available. And so that's something you really need to get, you know, you need to be comfortable with up front. Now, I guess it feeds back to what you mentioned earlier to first, before you take that step, to reflect and know where you are so that you have the right entrepreneurship or entrepreneur opportunity fit and then to make everything else work to, to support that. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Anna and Candice. Um, I really appreciate it. It's always such a pleasure to um, chat with you and learn from you all the time. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be delighted if you would take a couple of minutes to rate and review our podcast on your chosen listening platform. If you'd like to learn more about this series or get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so via our website at www.realruralwomensleadership.com, where you'll also find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. Thanks again for listening.